shift happens. I can't! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hassan. Today on the show, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down once again with health and nutrition wizard, Holly Sinclair. Holly was on the show a while back, um, had to have her on again, um, talking all things health and nutrition, the biochemical reactions and the relation between that and our mental health. We spoke about the HPA access and its link with depression. We go into that in depth. Uh, we spoke about SSRI medication which is antidepressants and cortisol. Um, so, so much. Holly and I are actually doing a seminar on mental health and addiction on June the 29th. You can get those details on the Facebook page of the Center for Healing or the Women's Series which is Holly's page, um, where we're going to be diving into a lot of this stuff. Me coming from the side of uh, mental, emotional, trauma, spiritual, that kind of thing, and Holly from that biochemical side, um, which both obviously have great value. So bringing those two together is going to add a lot of benefit. So guys, enjoy the encyclopedia of health and nutrition. That is Holly Sinclair. Welcome back to the Shift Happens Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hassan. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined once again by my fairy godmother of health and nutrition, maybe fairy god sister. Yeah, I think sister sounds better. Sister, sister from another mister, Holly Sinclair. <laughs> Holly, how are you? I'm very well. Yeah? How are you? Um, I'm tired. Yes. Uh, I'm at the end of a – I get caught up in my own momentum a lot, mm. right? So I go hammer and tong, hammer and tong, don't realise when I'm getting burnt out. And then I'm like, okay, I need to take a full week off. So that's what I'm doing next week. But that still takes self-awareness though. Yeah, but like I'm a stubborn fucker, so <laughs> I, I tend to take a bit longer than I should. Right. So it probably should have happened a month ago or maybe two months ago. Mm. But then it's sort of, you know, all of a sudden your health starts getting affected and your emotions and that kind of thing. So, yes, it does take an awareness, but I'm lucky I've got a very supportive partner who supports me in he that. He says, get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Please <laughs> get out of here for a week <laughs> and come back. Come back refreshed. Um, so that is the plan. So... Enough about me. What's been happening with you since we spoke last? Because uh, a lot has been happening, a right? A lot, yes. Um, I have gone into the world of entrepreneurship. Ooh. I hate that word, by the way, because I can never pronounce it properly. Entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, whoever invented that word, yeah. I'm not a fan. Um, yeah, well, I think when I yeah started getting into that word, I keep having to look up. And I, you know you spell stuff phonetically? Yes. So Entrepreneur. <laughs> Um, so let's just call me a small business owner okay. now. Um, entrepreneur's too trendy. Yes. Like everyone thinks being an entrepreneur is trendy. Yes. But it's not. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, but very rewarding. Mm -hmm. I feel like my sister was on the phone to me the other day and she said, um, oh, do you remember when you used to work six days a week, 15-hour days? And I'm like, how did I ever do that for somebody else? Like I just – because I don't feel like I work now. Although I'm still doing probably that level of output. Um, it's different, isn't it's it? It's really different. You would have been a great employee, by the way. I need to find someone <laughs> like you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a really unique moment for me because, yeah, running a small business is very rewarding and I'm living my passion and my purpose. But, yeah, it's just totally, totally different to being employed. 
Yeah, and you've mm. started the women's series. I think mm. from memory, when we had our last chat, you were like just about to launch that, yeah. I think, around yeah. that phase. So yeah. tell us a I bit about I what... I think I just launched it. Just launched um, it, yeah. Yeah, so the women's series is um, an education platform designed to empower women. And we are in the last maybe two to three weeks now of... Um, finalising all of our online memberships and content, which is pretty exciting. Um, So, yeah, basically we've designed a place where women can go um, to really hone in on all aspects of health because for me what I, you know, unfortunately I've had to go down the route of, um, not unfortunately, but I've gone down the route of exploring Instagram and Facebook and all the social media platforms um, because that's sort of how the way that the world works mm. now. But um, in that world, you you do get a lot of health and wellness advocates selling six-week bikini bodies and, um, you know, squats programs and whatever else it might be, which is fine, but it's not, it's not holistic in the sense of this is what you can do for your heart, your brain, mm. your body, you know, every aspect. So that's basically what I've created um, specifically for women. And I think it is, yeah, it's empowering in a different way. It's not empowering like, oh, you can make your, your ass or your abs look like this Absolutely on Instagram. It's not. a very different approach. Yeah, so yeah. So how, how do I become more of a balanced and rounded human being? Basically? Yeah, for sure. Because I think um, it's spiritual, physical, physiological... Um, biochemical, psychological, you know, there's so many aspects to being the best version of yourself um, that just don't get explored by many health and wellness platforms. Unfortunately, um, it tends to sway more in favour of nutrition plans and training plans, which there's that element to Mm. what I'm offering, um, but there's also the element... that's an element. It's an element, Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, not the whole thing. No. I think a lot of education seems to be going into that page at the minute. Yeah, it's heaps actually, of education. actually like well thought out posts uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's fun. And like, you know, one thing that this year has definitely highlighted is um, people, there's some really good people out there. And, you know, being able to collaborate with like-minded people like yourself or, um, you know, I've got two seminars on this weekend with Jack Boone and Jake Carter. Um it's it's really nice to to have that support from other people within the industry because ultimately we all have the same goal which is helping people um so yeah working alongside others and collaborating in that space has just been amazing yeah collaboration is the way to go like yeah well i don't know everything no that's right i do but i like to just (laughs) hang out with other people I knew I walked into that. <laughs> um, absolutely. And we have a, which I'll get into the details a little bit later and probably put in the show notes, but myself and Holly are doing a seminar at the end of June on the 29th where we're going to be talking about all things mental health and addiction. Yeah. Um, we're, get, like, we're going to be covering all those bases. I mean, yeah. you're going to speak a lot about the nutrition side, the biochemical side. All your HPA accesses and stuff that you talk about. And I'll probably talk about more of the uh, emotional side of things and the mental side of things. So once again, taking a topic that's very prevalent in society today and having a look at it from all angles, which is important. Yeah. I just really, I mean, the reason for those who are listening to this, I actually stalked down Ryan and um, made him work with me. <laughs> she was hanging out the front of the window at the office here on Nepean Highway, <laughs> holding up a sign. 
Um, but, you know, I, it really upsets me that unfortunately in the space of mental health, it's kind of like you've got two camps or maybe three camps. You've got psychology and emotional health and well-being and then you've got people maybe like myself who are focused on biochemics and nutrition and training and then you've got the allopathic version which is medications Mm -hmm. but really we should be looking at working all together and offering a service that encompasses all aspects of that treatment because um, like you and I talk about all the time it's really hard to achieve one without the other, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly in the space of psychology and biochemistry. And I think last time we spoke about on the podcast, the difficulty in really achieving optimal psychology if you're not eating properly, right? And so if you're not putting the right nutrients into your diet, you're not gonna be supporting a a healthy brain. Mm. And without a healthy brain, how can you possibly expect to have healthy psychology and emotions and so forth. But then the research backs the opposite as well. So, you know, Bruce Lipton proves the fact that your thoughts and your psychology impacts you on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. So you can't have one without the other. Yeah, it's Um, like all these things have a a two-way conversation with each other. 100%. Yeah, like with that's really interesting with that stuff because I love reading about, you know, the people who have certain allergies – Um, Mm. or reactions to things and they might say even people with a split personality one personality will be allergic to peanuts or poison ivy or something and when they switch personalities the other one's not and um, even they've had people who say are allergic to a plant or something and they feel you rub it on their arm they'll just come up in a rash straight away but they can do something say it looks like the plant but it's not it could be plastic or whatever but if their brain believes that it's real they'll come up in the rash when it's so it's not purely just that physical reaction no definitely not um but then with the the yeah the psychologist nutrition stuff oftentimes because everything's kind of okay i go to a doctor and get my medication and that's that and then mm. i might go over here and see a psychologist then i i need to then actively go and do something whether it's nutrition or that kind of thing mm. but whereas the psychologist would be helped by having the nutrition stuff side taken care of but mm. often they don't refer out to that kind of thing or bring that stuff up no because it's all about monotherapy. Mm. It's all about what I do is the right thing and then that's it. Yeah. Um, but you know, coming back to what I started the conversation with, collaboration is the key to success. Mm-hmm. And so actually collaboration is the key to your client's success. So if you're not willing to um, put aside your own ego in favour of actually helping your client, really are you being the best practitioner? Probably not. No. Um, and there's always going to be limitations on how far you can take someone until you need the assistance of, you know, like for me, for example, you know, I refer to Ryan as much as I can because there's there's limitations as far as I can help someone's biochemistry mm-hmm. until I'm like, hang on a second, we're not getting anywhere because you need to deal with some trauma. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And vice versa. So... Yeah, I think that's really important to me, which is why we've obviously put on the seminar at the end of yeah, June. Yeah, yeah, we get that as well here with um, inpatient um, rehab and that kind of thing. Because obviously what we do is outpatient and I believe 
I, I believe outpatient is better mm-hmm. overall, mm-hmm. but there's instances where people need to go into an inpatient because mm-hmm. they need that circuit breaker. The environment's not right for them at the minute or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's about then being able to say, okay, no, this person needs that. Let me refer somewhere else. That's important. Yeah. It's like you get stuck in the mindset of, no, 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 you'll be right. Just just do this way. Yeah. But it's not a one, si- fi- <laughs> one size fits all. No. It's interesting you just said environment um, because – now we're going to get into biochemical stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> because like the internal environment. I knew of, we were going here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the internal environment of your brain yeah. um, obvi- is dictated by your thoughts and by what you're telling yourself, but also it's influenced by toxins and pathogens and um, certain proteins and you know nutrients and so forth. And... I was doing some reading yesterday in preparations for the seminars this weekend and the process of uh, stress production is via a mechanism called the HPA axis. Now stress is important in regards to the conversation of mental health because everybody listening to this knows that when they're stressed their mental health mm. gets worse. All right, and so just I'll park that to the side for a second and, and come back to that. Health. Yeah, and physical health. Yeah. But physical health is um, – it's all interrelated because stresses can be physiological, yeah. not just uh, emotional, mm-hmm. right? So a stressor can be medication, gluten, sugar, dairy. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got a stressor of a shit workplace, yeah. right? Well, let's, we'll come back to that in a second. But the thing with the HPA axis, and for those of you who don't know what that means, yeah, is what it, is it? <laughs> it's the um, hormonal cascade that takes place in order to produce your stress hormone cortisol. And how it works is that there's two different mechanisms. You have your limbic system in the brain, which houses your hippocampus and your amygdala um, and your hypothalamus. And that's sort of seen as the part of the brain that humanizes us, right? It's where our emotion, our subconscious lies, so forth. And so when you experience a stressor, like, you know, in the worst scenario, you're at war, right? Or in the everyday scenario, you're having a fight with your spouse. Your limbic... Similar. <laughs> yeah, sometimes similar. Um, you, your limbic... <laughs> Strategies involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, So your limbic system will sense that and then it will speak to your hypothalamus and your hypothalamus will produce a hormone called corticotropic releasing hormone. Now that hormone's job is to go out into the bloodstream and then speak to another endocrine gland called the pituitary gland. But some of the uh, mechanisms that corticotropic releasing hormone has is that it... Um, suppresses appetite, okay, and it does that by down-regulating a gut hormone called ghrelin, but it also increases anxiety when it's in the bloodstream because it negatively impacts something called GABA, which is a, your calming neurotransmitter. Most people in the mental health world are very familiar with serotonin um, and some are familiar with dopamine. They're excitatory neurotransmitters, but GABA is your inhibitory neurotransmitter. Mm. And so GABA, correct me if I'm wrong, is what alcohol um, produces or, yeah, in the well, brain. Yeah, well, alcohol actually affects your GABA receptors in the brain. Yep. Yeah. But so then you get like a, 
uh, a rebound effect yes. where it gets suppressed and that's why you can feel very anxious and uneasy, I suppose, in a hangover. Yes, because your GABA res- reserves are depleting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so corticotropic releasing hormone, that this all gets released in response to needing stress, right? So this we haven't even gotten to the stress part yet, yeah? And so your, your anxiety is being increased. It's also found in small quantities in your white blood cells. Um, and what it does is it allows the white blood cell to swell. And so it plays a role in creating inflammation, particularly in your gut, which is where the connection between stress and bad digestion starts to take place. And so that CRH, that corticotropic releasing hormone, then speaks to the pituitary gland, which releases adrenocorticotropic releasing hormone. And ACTH then like pulsates your adrenal glands or the cortex of your adrenal. Um, and it says, yo, I need some cortisol and some adrenaline. Um, and Does it really speak like that? Yeah, it speaks that? like, okay, it. Okay. yeah, 1990 rapper. Um, and then your adrenals produce cortisol, which is your stress hormone and also adrenaline, which is why... Um, Initially, when you're stressed in a fight or flight response, you'll get like a little bit anxious as well because you'll get that fast heart rate, you know, your, your pupils will dilate and so forth because you've got adrenaline pumping. Um, and then if that whole system is working properly, the your cortisol will get secreted out into the bloodstream and then that will tell your hypothalamus, um, you've succeeded, we've produced cortisol, slow down the cortico-releasing uh, corticotropic releasing hormone and so then it'll slow down that HPA axis and that's what's known as the negative feedback loop mm-hmm. but that is what's going wrong with people because that negative feedback loop is not happening anymore because our constant load of stress is chronic mm-hmm. um, and so your HPA axis becomes dysregulated um, and some of the literature well a lot of the literature now is looking at how from a medication perspective, how can we actually um, regulate or dampen this HBA response to help people deal with mental health problems? Mm. Because what they're finding is that people with depression particularly have a seriously impaired HPA axis. Um, Now, whether that's a byproduct of high cortisol or whether that's a byproduct of that CRH hormone, most of the literature I've read is actually talking about that CRH hormone. It's not even referring to cortisol at that point. Right. So, yeah, it's so interconnected. Because I read a, a, I was listening to an interesting study about SSRI, so antidepressant medications, and cortisol levels. And it was the, the, the company that were doing it, they test uh, a lot of water supply to obviously see how much, um, you know, stuff we have in the water could be mm-hmm. antidepressant stuff other drug stuff but they were doing this study on actual antidepressant use and the effect it has on the body and then generations to come oh interesting yeah mm. and so they were finding that not just taking the this was just done on animals though but taking the medication uh was producing after a while low cortisol mm-hmm. so obviously cortisol which i didn't know cortisol i'm like you just want to lower your cortisol but it's bad to have low cortisol yes. as well i suppose we're meant to be in this sort of healthy range mm. Um, because low cortisol's related to 
if you have low cortisol, you won't explore your environment. You mm-hmm. become very inhibited and mm-hmm. isolated and that kind of thing. And so the use of antidepressants after a while was producing low cortisol, mm-hmm. but then affecting the generations to come, um, I think it was two or three deep who never were ex- exposed to the antidepressant medication, but it was low cortisol in them as well. Yeah, so um, I can tell you why. Mm-hmm. So corticotropic releasing hormone is also produced in the placenta and the fetus. So, um, which this has nothing to do with mental health, but just a side note, which is why women who have very low levels of CRH um, tend to miscarriage mm-hmm. quite a lot. So it's produced in a very, very high dosage in the placenta and the fetus, and it's heavily influenced by the mother's corticotropic releasing hormone production, which basically in a nutshell means your child's stress um, function, okay, their ability to be resilient and their coping mechanisms are 100% dictated by the mother's ability to cope with stress at mm. the time of conception. Yeah. Um, so it's it's so interesting right. and how intergenerational that becomes. You know, there's there's different thoughts, but there's certainly um, a very in, embedded philosophy of your grandmother's bacteria uh, will influence your current state of health. And yep. so it's plausible to suggest that your grandmother's stress production is probably impacting your own ability now, which is that whole conversation. Nan. Yeah, fucking come Nan. on, Nan. Come on, mate. Um, but that's that whole conversation of intergenerational trauma, mm. right? So you you see it in people like um, groups of African Americans or um, you know people who survived the Holocaust and so forth. It, genetically, you're still reliving that trauma on a cellular level. It's Absolutely. so interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. people are. You know, often come out and they're like, oh, we found the depression gene or the alcoholic gene and that kind of thing, but they haven't found anything like that. But the trauma is encoded in our DNA. Yeah. Like they did that study with rats where they would intentionally traumatize them. Poor rats. Rats get a rough deal <laughs> in this earth that we have here. Like they get fucked. So basically, they would take these rats, they would shock them on the feet electrically. It would oh. traumatize them. They'd fucking hate it. At the same time, they would shock them. They would spray cherry blossom spray into the cage. So after a couple of times, they would associate that cherry blossom smell with getting traumatized. Oh my God. So they didn't have to actually shock them anymore. They would just spray the spray and they'd obviously have a very anxious response and run to the corner of the cage. Mm. Stop traumatizing the rats, which is good. Those rats grew up and had baby rats and obviously they had baby rats as well. So those two generations deep were never exposed to the actual trauma. Mm. But if you sprayed cherry blossom spray in their cage, they would run to the corner of the cage in an anxious response, which other rats wouldn't get. So that trauma of being shocked, even just with the smell attached to it, was passed down two generations deep. That's wild. Yeah. Because they say that... um like so genetic um, based diseases used to equate for about one to two percent about I think it's up to 10 years ago but now that number's increased to 15 to 20 percent oh right but that's not because that this is what people need to understand with genes is your ge- your genes will mutate based off the environment that they're mm. in which mm. is the whole Bruce Lipton theory epigenetics yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so you think about our current environment, you think about all the toxic air that we breathe in, the shit food that we eat, um, the chronic stress load of work, you know, the substances that we consume. It's pretty bad. Yeah, and that's, that's <laughs> what makes it so tricky as well because you might then – because now it's 
getting trendy to have your DNA tested and find out what genes I've got and you can get a gene and say, oh, well, you know, you're going to be this much more percentage likely to get cancer mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. But based on your environment and the way you live your life, you can go through your entire life without turning that gene on exactly. ever. Yeah, exactly. But then people, uh, you know, get that gene and... Who was it? There was a celebrity ages Angelina ago. Angelina Jolie. Was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she had maybe a susceptibility. So mm. what, cut her boob off or something? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, and I think um, I was telling Ryan before we started today, um, you know, if we, th- we look at toxins and we bring it back to the conversation of mental health, well, there's a lot of research going into um, how s- certain toxic load has a direct impact on your brain's ability to function properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I'll just jump in. Just correct me if I'm wrong. So toxic load, we're talking about the toxins that we're taking in through food, drink, air, environment, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, versus the uh, amount we're able to detox out of our system because our body has this process of detoxing. So yeah. I suppose if you're taking in more toxins than you're able to detox, then that toxic load just gets greater and greater. Correct. And I'll, I'll just add to that um, detoxing ability. A lot of people think that their liver plays the, the big role in detoxification, which it does. Okay, so you've got three phases to detoxification. You've got phase one, phase two, which are in your liver. Um, I'm not going to bore you with the biochemistry, but yes, it's basically where we turn um, fat-soluble into water-soluble compounds. But then the third phase is in your gut. It's your small intestine. So the only way to get rid of those toxins is either you've got to go through your urine, your feces, or your sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your gut is not functioning properly, then you are retoxifying the body, particularly if you're somebody that deals with things like constipation, um, because now those toxins are just being pushed back up into the mm. bloodstream and recirculating. Um, because that's a very relevant conversation for people with mental health and addiction because digestive dysfunction is quite um, high in the symptomology of people with depression and anxiety. And we know it intuitively. Yeah. So like when we get anxious, we get butterflies. Yeah. Right? So that we know that there's that connection there. I used to call them like moths because when I was going through my Crohn's disease and that, any time I would get anxious or stressed, yeah, my guts would just go crazy. Yeah. And that, that ended up, I'd done every diet imaginable every elimination diet and all mm. that kind of jazz and it all came down to actually in the end it was just my stress that was the number mm. that was 80 percent of my issues that i ran into mm. um was when i got anxious or stressed i would never call it anxious back then i would just say stress stressed yeah <laughs> but, well, but it was anxiety yeah well because there's um so basically if you have an hpa dysregulation um, and maybe I'll just quickly flesh out what could dysregulate it. There's, the, there's multiple things. There's up to 100 triggers of stress. Um, but the four big ones are inflammation, blood sugar mismanagement, um, circadian rhythms, okay, so poor sleep-wake cycle, and perception, which is your jam. Um, so they're sort of like the four big things that can dysregulate your HPA axis. Tell me about the circadian rhythms a little bit. How would you get someone into a good rhythm because i think there's there's a a thing at the minute like i try and go to bed at the same time each night and wake up at the same time because that sort of gets you in a good rhythm Mm. but then i think i think this comes down to chronotypes with the genes as well as to what's best for people like so as you know you read hear a lot of people at the minute and they're like you get up at five and you do this this and this and then i'm having my breakfast and and you haven't done shit right Um, that used to be me they're lying no no that's i do that but I function really well in the morning, mm. right? So if you – and I have, you know, a friend and 
you know, he would try all that and he would feel like absolute dog shit. But yeah. then he's really productive at night. Like he could be 10 p.m. smashing out work, going off, and I'm, I'm not doing shit at 10 o'clock, no. right? So I think I'm not doing shit at either time, right? <laughs> I'm just like get up at 7:30, yeah. ease into my day. Do you get up and go to bed at the same time each day? Pretty or much. Night? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is with sleep wake cycle. So technically, based off your Technically, based off a healthy what's called cortisol curve or cortisol output, you should have a decent high amount of cortisol in the morning and that should basically energise you and wake you up. And then that should peter off throughout the day. Maybe at about 3pm you might get a little bit of a spike and then it should really peter off at about 7, 8pm and you should be wanting to go to sleep around then. It's connected to when the sun rises and when the sun goes down, Mm. right? Um, that, that is a healthy sleep-wake cycle. So I guess when I'm referring to circadian rhythms, if there is anything outside of that spectrum, and then even beyond that, when, when you are asleep, you stay asleep mm-hmm. and you feel rested when you wake up because that's a big um, problem for people is somebody, you know, you're talking about low cortisol earlier, you can be quite tired all the time and sleep 10 hours but still not feel rested. Mm. That means that your sleep-wake cycle is not optimal um, because you should be waking up like ready to seize the day, right? Mm. So uh, what's going on at night time that means that your body's not recouping and restoring properly? There's lots of things. There could Mm. be a GABA deficiency, serotonin deficiency. You could have detoxification problems. You could have adrenal fatigue issues. Um, You could have certain types of bacterial problems. You could have deficiencies, particularly in things like magnesium. Um, So there's a multitude of things that could be taking place. But that's that's a sleep-wake cycle. And a lot of people are deficient in magnesium, aren't they? Oh, so it's many. Like seventy-five percent, I was, or fifty to seventy-five percent. Yeah, I was it's reading crazy. somewhere. Crazy, it's crazy, and like especially if you're um, ever dealt with addiction, particularly with alcohol, because alcohol really, really depletes you from magnesium. Which is why, even if you, you know, you haven't dealt with addiction, when you have like a one or two glasses of wine, you have a worse night's sleep than mm. if you don't do that because of its connection to yeah. magnesium de- depletion. It's like Sleep onset can be better because you're a bit drowsy, but sleep quality yes. is, is shit it's else. restless. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, and alcohol also plays a role in um, blocking antidiuretic hormone, which is connected to things like, um, well, obviously going to the toilet, yeah. but things like um, your potassium and sodium output as well. So you're not going to be as hydrated. Yeah, from coming down to those four um, triggers for stress, those main ones. Mm. Um, when you said the last one, the perception one, it made me think, I read about this study ages ago now, but it was a really big study, like large selection group on the effects of stress on health. And they're trying to work out what outcomes stress was causing. Mm. And they found out it may, like one of the biggest things that came down to was the person's actual perception of stress itself. So people who thought stress was bad for them had worse health outcomes. I could not agree with that more. And the people, yeah, who thought stress was a good thing had better health outcomes. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's it's yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it makes complete sense, but it's quite it's quite interesting. Yeah, because they're trying to get a nut on exactly what stress was going to do, but it came down a lot to people's beliefs about stress. Well, that's like the whole saying of ignorance is bliss, I guess. But then once you know something, you can't unknow it. No, 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 you can't. <laughs> I have moments on this journey because I'm constantly like obsessed with research and I do all this work on myself. I do, I keep doing healings all the time and I go through these patches where I'm like, 
like, you know, a down week and I'm like, is this all worth it? Do I, can yeah. I go back to the way I was? Like just <laughs> – and I'm like, no, nah, you can't. <laughs> Bro, you're too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I know, I know. Morpheus going to take the other pill. But interesting you're talking about that because like part of this journey into sm- becoming a small business owner and, um, you know, I do, do, I do a lot of work on my own now. I don't um, – it's the first time I haven't had staff and a, a group of people to work with. But I don't know. I really feel like people are just too elitist down certain realms and they lose sight of what life should be. Mm-hmm. So even speaking from my own experience, maybe a year to two years ago, I was way far too far down the rabbit hole of you got to eat clean and oh, yeah. you got to train and, you know, and if you sway, then you're fucked and, you know, like, and I've met people who are more so in your line of work who I look at and I go, bro, you need to like just have a drink or something. <laughs> like you need to just relax a little yeah. bit as well. So I think um, it's about finding that balance is so key. Mm. Um, to living a meaningful and fulfilling life because life shouldn't be about restrictions or no. um, not being able to do things or, you know, because that leads to not being social and... Yeah, it also leads to a feeling of deficiency. Yeah, fear. Fear, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, let me just think about the things that I have to avoid. Yeah, and it creates a massive sense of judgment, i found, yeah. anyway. Like, you become the judger. Yep. which is not a person you want to be. No, not at all. And like sometimes when you pick up on that, you're like, oh, no. Yes. Oh, yuck, I'm being that person. Yes, I know, I know. Because I used to have that a bit with the the health stuff because with my Crohn's, what I went through, and I just did so much research and all this on food. And then, yeah, you think you know everything, mm. but you just don't. No. Um, <laughs> and so whenever someone would bring up something about health, I'd kind of half tune out. Mm. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Or try and tell someone, and it's yeah. just it's just yucky, you know. Yeah. The more I now go down this psychological and emotional and spiritual route, it's like it's totally the other way. It's like the more I learn, the more I realize is how much shit I don't know. Yeah, but and that's good and, and that everyone is individual. Mm. It's not none of this stuff's one size fits all. Nah. Um, and yeah, I like it's good not to be dogmatic, especially about what you eat and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, for me, like just eating what I should 80% of the time mm. and 20% having works. a go, it would just well, that works because there's not that full restriction thing. Mm. And if, you know, there's I go out somewhere to a party and there's a really nice platter, I'll pack my enzymes and I uh, go to town. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not there Are they yet. good? Are the enzymes good? Are they? Yeah, enzymes are great because okay. the thing about enzymes, so um, Ryan's referring to... I thought you were to about to go, enzymes <laughs> don't work. <laughs> Ryan's referring to digestive enzymes, yeah? Yes. Um, so they're basically mimicking what your uh, epithelial cells and what your pancreas does to help digest certain foods. Um, but the other thing about digestive enzymes is they bind to inflammation. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like about the digestion at that point. It actually helps to just lower inflammatory load on the body. So they're amazing, digestive yeah. enzymes, but you I, shouldn't rely on them. No, <laughs> I, like once every two weeks right. I might bust them out. Would I, if, if I started using them every day, would that, like, would my body go, oh, I'll start producing less enzymes because I'm getting them externally? Do you know what? I'm not too sure about that. I mean, I think the thing is, if you're needing to use a supplement to that degree, um, you need to look at the root cause yeah, yeah. <laughs> of what's going on. Of course. Um, a lot of the time, you know, in terms of digestive support, people have a lot of problems with proteins um, and that 
tends to be a bit of a byproduct of an issue with something called hydrochloric acid, which is the main substance that is in our digestive system that helps us to um, break down meat and proteins because it produces an enzyme called pepsin. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up, because I want to steer it back to mental health, um, if you have low levels of HCL, it tends to also indicate that you would have low levels of something called intrinsic factor, mm-hmm. which is the protein in your stomach that helps us um, take B vitamins, particularly B12, out of our meats and absorb it properly. Now, if you look at that, if you're not if you're eating meat, let's say, but you're not absorbing um, your B vitamins properly. Things like B6 and B12 are so essential for the formation of neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are what we all understand to be key players in the world of depression and anxiety. And even if we go back even further and think, okay, well, what would be depleting our hydrochloric acid in the first place? Hydrochloric acid takes up to 6,000 times the metabolic energy to be produced than any other substance in the body. 6,000? Like incredibly, incredibly metabolic, de- metabolically demanding, right. right? So if your HPA axis is just like churning and burning stress because we've got stress coming from all angles, the body's going to be like, fuck the hydrochloric acid. Mm, it gets kind <laughs> uh, of bumped down yep, in the priority haven't got list. time to produce that thing because yep. I need to push as many nutrients to this person's hypothalamus and pituitary and adrenals as I possibly can. Um, and that's sort of another connection where your stress intertwines with your digestive function as well. And then the irony is... You need those certain substances to help you break down nutrients from your food, which play key roles in supporting your brain. Mm. So it just becomes this bit of like a chicken and an egg situation. And even if HCL isn't the problem, if you go further down the chain to the small intestine and there's any level of permeability, which basically just means leakiness, um, you're going to really struggle to absorb nutrients at that point. And then you're also going to struggle to produce enzymes as well. So it's like you might have got through one stage, but then you've got to also get through the next stage. Mm. And then the last stage is obviously um, the colon. And so if there's any problems with stress, uh, your adrenals also help to produce another hormone called aldosterone, which uh, regulates your electrolytes, uh, particularly sodium and potassium. And your colon relies heavily on hydration to be lubricated and pushed through a stool. Mm -hmm. So if your stress load is high, your adrenals will again go stuff the aldosterone, okay? And then your electrolytes will become irregular or imbalanced. And then that's why somebody can have problems with constipation when they're stressed, Mm -hmm. okay? So then if you're constipated, you're retoxifying the body. And then the, the toxins create high levels of inflammation and they definitely um, play a role in what's something called leaky brain. Leaky brain. Yeah, right. So um, if you have leaky gut, it's safe to say that you've probably got some level of permeability or leakiness on your blood-brain barrier. And when you have leakiness on your blood-brain barrier, it's good to know actually before I keep talking that you have to have some level of permeability to the blood-brain barrier, right? But it shouldn't just be like this gaping hole. Um, 
when you have that barrier acts as like a protection to the brain. So for example, if you have leaky gut or permeability in the gut lining and then you're consuming things that maybe aren't great for you, um, you know, the buzzword at the moment is gluten. So let's use that. So if you're consuming wheat and that wheat goes into the bloodstream because your digestive barrier is torn, then it's like, oh, this is a bit of a party in the bloodstream. And it starts to molecularly mimic other proteins in the body. So it can mimic the thyroid, Mm -hmm. gluten, and it also plays a role in um, an autoimmune disorder called transcontaminase 6, which is gluten intolerance of the brain. All right, and so that protein, gluten, can actually get through the blood-brain barrier and into your brain. Now, that's not meant to be there. No. So your brain is going to be like, what the fuck? So it'll start trying to get rid of it by producing a lot of um, things called glial cells. But the body's the body can't really differentiate between what should be there and what shouldn't be there. So what starts to take place is that it just starts killing off everything, mm-hmm. right, in a hope to get rid of this foreign pathogen. And that's when we'd get a lot of neurological inflammation. Um, now, the problem is the brain doesn't have pain receptors. So... For everyone who thinks that a headache is in the brain, that's not a thing, Mm -hmm. okay? That's outside of the brain. It's usually vasodilation of the blood. So if the first sign of neurological inflammation is depression. That was my next question. What's the symptom? Yeah, Yeah, it's brain fog. Mm -hmm. It's anxiety. It's cognitive decline. That is your first indication that there's something going on in the brain. And they know scientifically that the first symptom of dementia is depression. You've just ignored that or, you know, um, people who get diagnosed with dementia because it's a later, I'm doing the, what's it called? Quotation The marks. quotation marks. Uh, later commas. In later life. Really, they probably would have had a bout of depression mm-hmm. 20 years prior, mm-hmm. right? That would have been their first red flag. Right. And then it got ignored or it got Band-Aid. Yeah. Right. And then they continued to do the things that created that neurological inflammation in the first place and it leads to those more serious um brain disorders right so how do we coming back to the hpa access it sounds like the best way for us to improve that function is to reduce our stress load yep so what what do you normally have people focus on when it comes to the stress is it all those four things that you mentioned or one of those predominantly yeah how can someone start to lighten their load so first for me is tackle inflammation That's first and foremost. Um, And the best way to do that is your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to a client the other day and I said, we've got to tackle your inflammation. So who are your inflammatory friends? (laughs) (laughs) Who are your inflammatory, uh, you know, family members? Because that's what I'm referring to as well. Yeah. Um, And then also, you know, what types of foods are you eating? Um, Do they need to take enzymes with those family members? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a good supplement line? Yeah. Well, it's like, I think (laughs) I've spoken about this before, like those friendships and relationships, they're part of our diet too. 100%. Just because it's not what we're putting in our mouth, it's it's definitely part of our diet. Definitely, definitely. Um, So, you know, looking at your nutrition, looking at things like hydration, for example, um, making sure that you're sleeping. Like there's some, I think in the wellness community, 
we sort of jump the gun a bit like allopathic doctors in the sense of, you know, take this crazy new supplement and, you know, take this enzyme and whatever it might be, which is fine. But like, are you doing the fundamentals of what's needed to be like a normally functioning human being? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I'm going to get his name wrong, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The base of that is food, air (laughs) and water. Survival, yeah. Yeah, so unless until you're doing those things, it's going to be really, really difficult to achieve a good state of health. Um, and you need to be doing them consistently, you know, like for months on end. And that because that's the other thing, people do these, we're really encouraged to do these 28-day challenges, mm. all these, you know, 12 weeks to sexy. And like that's great, but you have to sustain it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, my, my mate Drew, I think, uh, he I can't remember how much weight he lost, but before I knew him anyway, he was a big guy, weight, had all these health issues, massively overweight, and all that kind of jazz. Mm. And then I'm like, what happened, mate? Because he's now like in good shape and everything. And he goes, I just cut out booze, sugar, and white flour. I think those were the three, right? He goes, I just cut them out, and I just did that for like six months, exactly, and everything just got better. So exactly. it's really like fundamental stuff. And I suppose you add proper hydration into that. Like it's not that sexy. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's dehydrated. Yeah, yeah it's, I know. It's not it's like not. here's my magic, you know, it's pills not. here. It's just fundamentals done right. Yeah. And and I think like if you want to peel back the layer to those aspects even more, uh, organic food mm. is incredibly important. Um, and if you don't have the financial resources to go organic, at least try and keep it seasonal. Um, so, you know, don't eat bananas in June. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing. I'd have to Google that because I don't even know what food is what in season exactly. or not because we kind of get it all year round. I don't have that knowledge. I've never grown stuff. So no. I think tomatoes are summer. That's about all I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny when people are like... That's why my veggie garden didn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone goes to Coles and they're like so annoyed that the avocados aren't ripe. It's like, yeah, Deborah, it's fucking May, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, and then they like miraculously have this bunch of avocados that are ripe all of a sudden and you're like, oh, that's come out of the freezer for sure, right? Um, So, you know, try and keep it seasonal. And then the thing is with water, just definitely make sure it's filtered Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, excess amount – like that's another thing I haven't spoken about. I didn't even speak about it on the last podcast, but things like mercury and fluoride and and, uh, certain toxins can embed themselves so deeply into our tissues and the way in which they will affect us is going to be different for everyone. Yeah, but I think the mercury one, coming back to Alzheimer's, like mercury toxicity leads to short-term memory loss. And depression. Terrible for your brain. Yeah. Terrible for your brain. So, I mean, you could get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, <coughs> dementia or whatever it is when you may just have mercury toxicity. Yeah. Been eating tin tuna all your life. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the filtered water is really, really important um, and, and breathing. I was, I was listening to this amazing... Breathing. I want to talk about breathing. Yeah. Yeah, go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I had in my head like I want to talk about breathing and then you brought it up, so... So... Um, Let's go back to the beginnings of time. The first breath (laughs) that anyone ever uttered. (laughs) Um, So when, this is relevant to you because you're a new dad. So when a baby is born, the suckling on the breast forms the palate, okay? And that palate plays a role in our nasal cavity. And so 
when we are being fed by our mother, we learn to breathe through our nose. And that then delivers oxygen up to the brain, which is really important. But if that process is not um, taught properly or if it's not encouraged, like certainly, I'm not sure what your experience has been, but certainly people are encouraged to use bottles and that sort of stuff, the palate formation gets affected. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you can actually, I learnt this, and I've forgotten his name, I've learnt this off a dentist who's in the Gold Coast. You can actually test if you have proper palate formation as an adult. You need to open your jaw as wide as you can, Ryan's doing it, as wide as you can, and then try and touch the back of your teeth with your tongue without your jaw moving. Can't do it. So that's suggestive of having an adult tongue tie, which could impact your nasal cavity. Yeah, so here's, this is, this is, because I've been thinking about this literally today. Right. Because um, I'm a massive mouth breather. Not good. Not good. I know, <laughs> I keep, I'm listening to podcasts and doing this research and telling me how bad it is to be a mouth breather. I'm a full mouth breather. Ooh. And I, I've been trying, even literally I did this today, just on the way to work. I'm like, I just want to go the whole way to work, 20 minutes, just with breathing through my nose. It's so hard for me to do. Interesting. Yeah, even at night time, I can't go to sleep breathing so through my nose. So let's talk about night time then because... That's wha- a good test. I can't... Yeah. I can't get close. So it should be like... I can't do it. It should be... You should be able to touch the back of your front teeth with the tip of your tongue with your jaw as wide open as possible. Right. That's the test. But um, so... If I was bottle fed as well. Were you? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so the thing is with breathing then, if you go to bed at night, well, yeah, of course you're going to go to bed at night. When you go to sleep... Planning on it. <laughs> when you go to sleep, you're, the only form of um, support that your brain's getting is the oxygen that's coming into our body. And so it's relying on that through the nasal cavity. If you're a mouth breather, if your nasal cavity is impaired, um, this is going to create a fight or flight response in the brain. Okay, and that's again why people can have really impacted um, HPA axes or or impacted circadian rhythms because now your parasympathetic nervous system is like not it's not a thing. Your sympathetic nervous system is kicking into gear while you're meant to be sleeping. Um, and I, I'm not a mum, so I, I struggle to maybe have this conversation with people because I'm, I'm not coming from a place of understanding. But I think it would be interesting to see how many kids actually struggle with proper breathing at night and whether or not that influences their sleep. Because I suspect there would be a correlation there for sure. Mm. Um, you know, and, and parents get told, oh, it's just a sleep regression or, you know, some kids just don't sleep well. But I don't know. I, I, because because of how much the palate influences the nasal cavity, I think there'd be a massive connection there. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I have read some studies on that and also changes the way your, your jaw sits as yes. well. Um, and I've even looked into, I didn't buy it yet, but there was like a thing I was looking at where you tape your mouth shut at night. So it's like, you, yeah, no shit, it's called mouth tape. Um, <laughs> That's a great name. The dude's name, his name, Anders Ericsson, something like that. He's a breath dude. And um, yeah, you wear that one of those things on the nose that like opens. Yeah, nose your, strips. A nose strip, mm. but then with the mouth tape as well. Right. Because um, yeah, but I just struggle so much. And then I wonder if they're, if it is just that, if I've got an issue with just the... Because there seems to be a restriction mm. in my nose. It's not... 
sometimes it'll be better than others. But yeah, I just have heaps of trouble. If I just like on the way to work today, have that mouth shut and breathe just through the nose, mm. I just feel like I can't get enough oxygen. That's so I'll so feel even after a minute or so, I'll just feel very short breath. Mm. Um, yeah, because it's also I was listening and that when we breathe through the nose, our nose uh, adds nitrous uh, nitric oxide, oxide yeah. to the air, which yeah. actually helps us absorb oxygen more yes. in the lungs. So yes. you're not getting that through. But the not mouth. when you're mouth breathing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy was saying, uh, breathing's for your nose, eating's for your mouth. I'm like, oh, fuck, all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point, though. Yeah, so, I mean, breathing is a, is really – and if we, we bring that back to the relevant conversation of today of mental health, well, if your brain's not getting enough oxygen – so there's three things that your brain relies on. Oxygen, glucose, and stimulation. So they're the three fundamental things to a healthy brain. Mm-hmm. So – if you break those down, I mean, we've just spoken about the importance of um, oxygen and particularly nose breathing because of the nitric oxide. And then you look at glucose, that's a byproduct of food being metabolized. And then you look at stimulation, that's movement, right? So um, are you doing all of those three? That, again, coming back to fundamentals, are you doing those mm. three things properly in order to support a healthy brain? I, most people I interact with probably not. You know. Yeah, because I mean, I, I watch Tommy, my boy, and it's just, it's just a natural baby thing. He breathes through his nose mm. and he breathes deep into his belly. Mm, Whereas awesome. we grow up as adults, and I grew up and I breathe through my mouth and shallow in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> now I've trained myself not with the nose stuff yet, but to breathe down into my diaphragm and into my belly, which has helped a lot. Mm. But I think that next phase is going to be sorting this nose out. Mm. However, I do that. You should try. Have you tried Wim Hof? Yeah. Yeah. But Wim Hof, I mean, he's. Um, even Wim, he does. He's like, get it in any hole. Doesn't matter if it's the nose yeah, or the mouth, tr- you know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> of course he'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so now I've done his ten week course and I've done all that stuff. But okay. um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit different with that. Yeah. Because mine's I can I can, I can do breathing exercise and a lot of different breathing techniques and holotropic breath work and I love all that stuff. But just my unconscious breathing mm. just reverts back to the mouth mm. every time. Yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know. I mean, the body's just so multifaceted, isn't mm. it? You know, everything's interrelated from, you know, your, the health of your brain to your thoughts, um, to your movement, to your digestion, your hormones. I mean, we haven't even touched on hormones mm. today. But things like testosterone for men are fundamental in helping to carry dopamine to the brain, um, which is your motivating, energizing, mm. feel-good neurotransmitter. And a lot of people have issues with dopamine. Like it's a big, big problem in Western societies. You know, you were saying right at the beginning of today, you, you go hard and then you stop and then you go hard and then you stop and then that's why you need that break. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he's got a dopamine issue. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> you know, and like particularly if, you, if you're if you somebody who deals with addiction, uh, dopamine is certainly a big issue there. Whether the addiction is to cigarettes, sugar, whatever um there's there's that need to constantly like pick your energy up constantly um improve your dopamine before it drops again but i mean all of our dopamine's jacked i think because of social media i mean Mm. that's exactly what notifications 
and scrolling through a timeline like that. Like that's not an accident. Facebook, Instagram, they didn't just go, oh, this will be a nice way to consume our content. They're like, no, no, this will play on people's dopamine receptors. Because when you see that one, two, three notification, that dopamine triggers and you might put your phone in, oh, I'll check that later. And then it's just in there and you have to check it, have to check it, refresh, refresh. It's all dopamine based. Well, the World Health Organization just came out and said that it's – like their recommendations is that children should not look at screens before the age of one because it impacts your dopamine receptors so much that they're associating it with the um, increase of ADD and ADHD in children Um, because those those behavioural disorders are, from a biochemical perspective, certainly um, a byproduct of poor brain function and particularly low dopamine in the brain. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we... we have a tv at home it doesn't get really turned on much um mm. i have noticed though if it has been on for whatever reason and like i walk past holding tommy he's like eyes are like follow yeah, the tv i'm like crazy. whoa what the because <laughs> normally he just looks around at the whole room and everything but then your eyes lock on that thing it's really interesting mm. with add as well i was doing some research this week uh dr i can't remember his first name amen so he runs the amen clinic mm-hmm. and they've been doing a lot of work at them it's like an integrative health Right. place in America but a lot of work around ADD um, and they do brain scans of people and kids mm-hmm. with ADD and he's that sort of said there's actually seven different types of mm-hmm. ADD so normally it's sort of a blanket thing oh your kid's got ADD or ADHD here's what we do for it but he said no there's actually seven different types and those seven different types will react different to different treatments mm-hmm. so a stimulant medication will actually work quite well for this type but not for all these types. Yeah. Yet that's kind of the go-to because yeah. that can make a lot more anxiety and do a lot more harm than good. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, um, other things that can impact uh, particularly ADD, I was talking earlier about that transcontaminase 6, which is an autoimmune disorder of gluten intolerance to the brain. And the reason that's so problematic is that it actually um, creates something called cerebellum ataxia, And basically your cerebellum is a lobe in the brain that sits at sort of the back of your head. Um, And that's where you have the most amount of GABA receptors. It's very, very rich in GABA. Um, And it controls things like balance, coordination, attention to detail and your parasympathetic nervous system. And gluten actually impairs that. So, and the lower your GABA receptors are, then the more issue you're gonna have with um, dopamine. Mm-hmm. So they play like an uh, inverse it, relationship. An inverse relationship almost, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so like, you know, gluten, for example, there is just terrible for brain health. Yeah. Um, and then you think about like how much gluten is in kids' foods these days. It's wild. Mm. But nobody would go, oh, they're eating bread. That's why they've got a brain issue. No. And then coming from my point of view from ADD and the more trauma approach, so Dr. Gabor Mate talks about ADD as... I just finished his book. Which one? The kids one, How to Love Your Kids. Hold on to your kids. Hold on to your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on to your kids uh, in the realm of Hungry Ghosts, which is his addiction one. Um, then he has the Scattered Minds, which is the ADD one, which I'm about to talk about. And... I think there's one more, can't remember. Anyway, yeah, I love him so much. Mm. Um, but he talks about ADD being, uh, in some cases, a response to trauma. Mm. So it's like, you know, right now, if I'm in a situation and you start attacking me, like verbally or physically, like you want to start a fight. It's not unlikely. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got some options, right? So I can, I can fight back 
I'm right. a pretty big dude. I can fight you back. Um, there's some other people in the rooms here at the centre. I can yell out for their help um, or I can run. I can you, – you'd be pretty quick, I reckon. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon you might catch I'm me. like a ninja. I reckon I'd probably just yell for help. Um, so I've got options, right? When I'm a child, an infant, a baby, however old, if I'm in a situation like that where I'm being physically or verbally attacked, I don't have many options. Mm. Okay? I can't call out for help. There's mm. no one there. I mightn't have that ability yet. I can't fight back because I'm a bloody little kid. And I probably can't run. I might be mm-hmm. strapped down, whatever it is. So then – Trauma is your brain's inability to cope with the situation. So your brain's mm-hmm. going to try and cope in some way. So in that moment, what's the only kind of defense mechanism I can play? It's to completely tune out and disassociate. Right. right? So then what happens then from that point forward, whenever I'm presented with any kind of stress in my life, what's my coping mechanism? Tune out. Wow. I go through school, any type of stress, test, whatever it is, tune out, disassociate. Anything in life, relationship stress, tune out, disassociate. So it becomes a sort of a, a learnt behaviour that was based around trying to deal with some sort of trauma. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, here's information on um, controlled crying. Have you read that in the book? No, tell me about that. I, I would well, I'd love to... How he talks about how... Um, controlled crying with children it's like so against what we would have done from an evolutionary perspective to just let your kid cry out because like you just said if you're out in the wild the only form of communication that your child has with you is to cry um and so he talks about how that moving forward into adulthood can really stop you from being vulnerable or you know showing those sorts of emotions because you're not going to get anything out of it so that's like we made a decision early on myself and melissa that we would fully do attachment parenting which is none of that crying out it's it's co-sleeping it's wow. you know if, if he cries you don't leave him alone if he starts crying you pick him up straight away so that's the term attachment parenting. yeah it's okay, one of the right. terms you can use yeah because right. there's there's an there's when you're that young all you're doing is trying to survive and your main survival is based on the attachment with the mother mm. if ever that attachment becomes in danger the kid goes into all sorts of stress yes this is where letting a kid cry out um can have disastrous impacts yeah later, later on in, in life, life. later yeah. on in life yes yeah. yeah. so now the thing with that is making that commitment to do that is it's a lot more work up front mm. so for the first sort of three however long years of his life it's going to require a lot more effort mm. than just um, training them to cry out so they can sleep in their own room <laughs> and trust me at times like you want to do that because it's i get why people do it it's really hard yeah but you know, our philosophy is, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just based on the research that, mm. that we do and us healing people's childhood trauma all the time. Um, <laughs> us dealing with the people us, who went through us control. Us yeah, yeah, fix the fine. adults, including <laughs> yeah. myself. Um, it's about doing this really hard work and commitment up front mm. to then with the expect or the result of having a much more balanced and emotionally stable adolescent and human being. Mm. So interesting. Yeah, I think Gabo always talks about like this whole time out thing it's like when a kid gets you know because a kid can't regulate their emotions like they're trying to learn how to regulate them and they actually can't Mm. right and then to punish them for not being able to regulate their emotions it's crazy (laughs) yeah go sit in a room by yourself because you can't regulate your emotions so it's like we're going to punish you by not being able by being able to not do something that you can't do you shouldn't be expected to do and then to add to that i would say why are they all over the shop in the first place? Mm. Well, yes, they're learning, but what's going on from a biochemical perspective that 
do they have chronic inflammation in their brain? Do they have digestive issues? Like a lot of, we're getting a bit sidetracked here with the conversation. But No, but this uh, is good because <laughs> see, now this is what's going to happen in our seminar. This is true. We're going to go back and forward <laughs> about emotional trauma and biochemical. Um, because a lot of, the first sign of autism a lot of the time is the kid will have digestive issues. Right. So, and that like, that is like the nth degree of a neurological degeneration happening. So, um, what's going on from a digestive perspective that maybe is overlooked by your local GP or whoever um, because that is telling you something. If your kid has like a bout of diarrhea, that's not normal. Mm. If your kid has gastro, that's not normal. You know, that means that there is some bacterial issues going on, that their first line of defence is uh, weakened. And then that's going to lead to how well their brain functions and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to regret bringing this up. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on vaccinations? Oh, why did you have to bring that up? Oh, I'm pro-choice. Right. I think, I think that the we're having the wrong conversation is my opinion i think that the group of those people who choose not to vaccinate are such a small percentage like um i'm pretty sure it's about one percent of the population and then they know from a herd immunity perspective we need to have 95 percent immunized because and that's another thing immunization and vaccination are two different things um but 95% of people need to be reached in order to have herd immunity. So where are the other 4%? Because mm. if 1% is anti-vax, let's call them, and then 95% are pro, where's the other four? They're in rural communities. They're in indigenous communities that cannot access healthcare systems. And I think the conversation should be steered towards supporting them, not alienating the one percenters. Got it. Because that gets you nowhere. Because when you start to alienate people, and I'm sure you would know this better than anyone, if you start to alienate mothers, um, they won't go to the GP when the kid's sick. They won't access healthcare systems. And so it will just get worse and worse and worse. They'll have to stay at home from work. So then, you know, from an economical perspective, you're getting people to not support the economy. Um, so it has a it has a much bigger reach than just saying you're an idiot because you don't vaccinate. Mm. You know, I, I'm I'm very pro-choice. I mean, you know, I'm you know, it's even in the conversation of things like abortions, it's your body, it's your choice. You have the right to do things mm-hmm. that you want to do. My my big thing is just be informed, make a decision based off what feels right for you. Do the research. Um, There's a great book on vaccinations written by a paediatrician who I'm not going to remember the name to, um, but we'll put it in the show notes, um, where he literally goes through every single vaccine and he talks about why we need it, what's the toxic load of it, what's the necessity of it, and and really breaks it down. So if you're somebody who's like on the fence Mm – um, I'm not a parent, so I guess I could put myself on the fence at the moment. Um, that would be a great book because it sort of says, you know what, things like tetanus, for example, that's a really real thing. <laughs> and that's something that could happen today, right? But typhoid is not a really real thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, then you'll have the argument of people saying, yeah, but the vaccines got rid of it. That's cool. Awesome. Right? If that's the case, nailed it. Yeah, but it's not necessarily a threat anymore so do we need to put the excess amount of load onto the body i don't know and then 
<clears throat> even from a government perspective, because it's not talked about, but they, you know, there is a lot of healthcare systems that do support delayed vaccinations, which is probably what I'll end up doing with um, the children that I have, is waiting until their immune systems are a little bit more robust mm-hmm. um, to cope with How the, long is that? So you can start that from two to four years. Okay. Yeah. Um, instead of starting them at six weeks. But it's just about personal choice. Yeah. And it really upsets me when people get alienated based off their personal choice, mm. you know, um, because ultimately, and I'm not a mum, but I'm sure I can speak for the mums when I say every mother is doing what they think is best for their child. They're not going to be like, yeah, fuck the kid. Yeah. Let's just risk it for polio. No, they're not going to do that. Yeah. You know, if they really, really feel that passionately about it and they're the only, they're 1%. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. That's if that answers your question. That does. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just about being informed. Yeah. 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 No, we uh, haven't had Tommy vaccinated. Um, we are going to delay that. Yeah. Until his immune system's formed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a definite pushing of that. Well, Paul Check. Um, for those of you who know Paul Check, who don't know Paul Check, he is just like the most amazing man in the universe. He's like the godfather of holistic health. His um, podcast, Living in 4D, I think it's called. Yes, yeah. it's very good. Um, but he tells the story about when he was in the hospital and they had their child and he was not very aware of vaccines. He had um, he was a Air Force pilot and as part of the Air Force, they had to have routine vaccinations. He had 28 vaccinations in one go and then they lost his papers. So he had to have another 28 vaccinations. Right, and he reckons that's around that time a lot of health issues started to... I mean, that's like extreme. Nobody gets that many. But um, so when he had his child, they were in the hospital and he just asked questions. He just said, what's the, what is the um, consequences of, you know, vitamin K, for example? Or, and one, the, the hospital didn't... They just said it's fine. There's no consequences. And so <laughs> Paul Cech, he's a, quite a unique character went away and the first thing is liver damage on vitamin K, right? Mm. It's on the packaging. So he came back to the hospital and he said, well, guys, come on, like, you said there was no consequences. And then they called social services. Really? Yeah. And they tried to remove the child from them. Yeah. That's pretty full on. It is For just on. asking a question. Yeah. You know, so that that's what I don't like about the system, yeah. that you can't have these types of conversations without without it being so emotionally charged. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I sort of draw the line. But I, I wasn't – I didn't used to be like that. I mean, I was emotionally charged when I was talking about health issues two years ago mm-hmm. like because you get so attached to certain yes. identities and so forth. So I've learnt to move away from that. Um, so I get it. But, yeah, I just – I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a definite kind of when you – whether it's the – you know, an appointment with a maternal healthcare nurse or a doctor and that kind of thing. And you definitely, mm. when you let them know that you haven't had vaccines yet and you're going to push it out, they're like, why? Mm. Why? And look, right. 
And then as yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, here's some information. I'm like, yeah, we've done a fair bit of research. So, yeah. but my philosophy was, I, I understand the benefit for the whole. Yes. And so, if if, it, if I was basing my decision based on the whole, I would definitely do it. Mm. But my number one priority is him. And mm. on an individual basis, I think delaying, delaying um, yeah. until that immune system is formed. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably the route that we'd take. Um, and you know, I'm at an age now where a lot of my girlfriends are starting to become mums. Yeah. Um, so it's quite like a di- like I haven't had any boosters done, um, and I'm just so. I said this to one of my close girlfriends the other day. I'm so fortunate to have a network of people who don't judge me, mm. who are very respectful of um, my beliefs, because if I didn't my closest friends would have not let me see their kids, for example, right? And I would have been okay with that because that's their opinion. You respect their decision. Yeah, Yeah, so I think it's just about being able to have a respectful conversation with one another from both parties. Because the the anti-vaxxers don't do themselves any favours. No. (laughs) No. Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, it's just about being respectful. Yeah, Mm. yeah, and being informed. Mm. Uh, All right, I think... We're going to close the show on that. Shit. (laughs) No, well, let's close the show by talking about our seminar that we're going to do. Okay. Whew. Bring it back. <laughs> Bring it back. Yeah, it's so funny. I see as soon as online, I see you know, someone posts about vaccines. I'm like, oh, shit. I see like 118 comments. I'm like, oh, no. Just let it go. Like, <laughs> Walk like, away. I know. It's like such – you get it with certain topics. Like it's just so charged. Which which other topics? You've got vaccines. You've got veganism. Veganism um, <laughs> versus me eating. Because you get this, it's like the vast majority of people can just have a conversation. Like my, mm. my mate Drew, who I spoke about, lost all that weight. We played golf recently. Afterwards, I started talking about this vaccine thing. And mm. so he it was the opinion of he would. And so we just had this big chat about benefits and that. And it's like, cool, you can have a discussion. Yeah. But there's these extreme ends of people who have this belief that they feel the need to attack the other side. Yeah. When it's just not, that doesn't get anywhere. No. Because you see it. If I'm going to engage in any type of discussion with someone, I need to know that I can say something that can change their mind mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're not having a discussion. We're simply yelling at each other and we, we, we're just going to try and get our point across and be heard. Yes. Because that's what, if I'm engaging in a conversation with someone, I need to know if they've got an opposite point of view, they could say something to me that would make me go, oh, I need to rethink that. Mm. Okay? Otherwise, it's just bullshit. And this mm. is where you get caught in these discussions with the veganism, the vaccines. There's other stuff as well where it's so emotionally charged. No mm. one's willing to listen. No, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, because I, I probably two or three years ago would have put myself in the camp of an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. But I'm not anymore. I will vaccinate my children, mm. you know. And I think it's because of being able to listen and really, okay, oh, maybe I was wrong about that. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? And being open to, um, what's the word? You know, not letting my ego get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Look, may- <laughs> maybe there's some middle ground here. Yeah, it's, sure. Maybe there's a bit of grey and it's not just black and white. <laughs> well, I'm pretty black and white, okay, guys. <laughs> I try not to be. Yeah. I try and be grey. That's why we're a good team. Yeah. Yeah, we cover <laughs> black, white and grey. So very colourful, is it? <laughs> That's a pretty shit rainbow, to be honest. Uh, guys, that is enough for today's episode. Once again, the talk we're going to be giving is on the 29th of June. Mm-hmm. It will be in the city somewhere. We're, um, actually, we're probably going to be looking at Fonda. 
in Paran on yep. the rooftop. Oh, no. Nice. Yeah, we're just waiting on, we'll just have to wait on the weather forecast. Yes. But yeah, that's where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be covering, well, from my end, I'll be covering the gut to brain axis, um, more information on neurotransmitters, what you can do to help support your neurotransmitters um, nutritionally, um, and also things like lowering inflammation, that aspect of stuff, digestive health um, and training. And then from your perspective... Yeah, it's going to be mental, emotional, trauma-based, all that kind of stuff, subconscious mind, what's going on in there. And Mm. I think we'll go kind of back and forth, back and forth between that. So then, you know, people that come can be like, latch onto whatever they want to latch onto that that resonates with them. And like you said, like we're talking about at the start, there can be the a topic being spoken about from many different angles yes yep so someone might go okay i think i've got that that and that sorted but what holly was saying about these foods or that inflammation i need to incorporate that mm. into my life mm. and all of a sudden you and can bring yourself up. and vice versa yeah, yeah absolutely sure. i can't tell you the amount of um the amount of clients that i have and now that i'm i'm way more understanding of the um uh, psychology and emotional and spiritual aspects of healing man people really need to do the work yep like bad yeah. and it is work oh it's work it's i'm work. i've sort of spent the last 18 months doing it and fucking hell it's work yeah yeah but you know you just come out so much better on the other side of yeah. it yeah yeah no mm. it's all worth it where can people reach out to you to get in touch they can find me at thewomenseries.com mm-hmm. um so that platform will be good to go in a fortnight and the women series is my Instagram handle, and they can also contact me the women series at gmail.com. Yep. For now, um, mo- all of my consults are online, so you can access me from all over the world. Cool. And yeah, I, I also I do run quite frequent workshops and seminars, so um, they're on my Facebook page. Our seminar link is on okay. our Facebook page, so it's facebook.com forward slash the women series. You can add, so you can add a an event to your face. I'll do that as well. (laughs) So the Centre for Healing. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a mate um, who messaged me because, oh, can we catch up on Zoom and, you know, I really want to learn about, you know, Facebook marketing and that kind of jazz. I'm like, all right, if you want to, like. (laughs) Whoever that person is, cut the cord. (laughs) He's not the guy. Um, cool, and we'll, I'll post that up. So, and it's on Eventbrite. Yes. Um, that, but uh, yeah, we're looking at Fonda rooftop. We're going to have some fun. Yeah. It'll be a bit interactive. Get people involved. Yeah. And um, really looking forward to that. Holly, helping people. Helping people. Mm. You know, education, practical mm. steps, that kind of thing. Mm. Love it. All right. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks, right. My fairy god sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks, Catch you guys. Soon. Thank you so much for tuning into that episode. Always a pleasure sitting down with Holly and chatting about all of those things that she knows when it comes to biochemistry and health and nutrition. Uh, Once again, 29th of June is our seminar. Head over to the Center for Healing Facebook page or the Women's Series Facebook page to check out that event and get more details and secure your spot. I'm sure it'll be a sellout. Guys, if you haven't already, I would love if you could rate, review and subscribe the podcast. It would mean so much to me. Even just give us a five stars. You don't even have to write a review, but uh, it would mean so much and obviously help uh, promote the show and get a lot of amazing guests 
guests on. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. It is said the greatest gift one human being can give to another is the gift of their attention. And I thank you so much for that. Have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful week. Peace out. Shift happens. What we do in life echoes in eternity.